We are continuing our series this morning. Now, if you are new or just joining us, we are in an eight-week series, and we're part seven, so you're kind of coming in at the end of the story. But here's where the story gets really good. And what we've been doing was for eight weeks, we've kind of been going over the whole story of the Bible, starting with Genesis. And there's a story throughout Scripture that we've been following along. But today is where it gets really interesting for you because here's where you enter the story, right? Have you ever been a part of a conversation and you've been a little bit bored, but then all of a sudden the conversation's about you? And I'm like, man, this story's now getting really good. That's the story today. You are a part of today's story. We started seven weeks ago with the creation of the world. We talked about Abraham, how God spoke to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis in the Old Testament, that I'm going to have a covenant with you, a relationship with you and your descendants. And so, really, the storyline of the Old Testament is the story of God's people, the nation of Israel, the descendants, the sons and daughters of Abraham, and God's covenant relationship with him, with them. The history of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt, and they were delivered, and then they were in the promised land. And we talked about how slowly over time we saw areas of compromise where they were supposed to be devoted and and uh, dedicated only to God there was areas of compromise and idolatry and God said you got to knock that off or there's going to be consequences and then they were captured by or you know um, conquered by Babylon and sent into exile and then near the end of the Old Testament they were allowed to return and rebuild the temple rebuild the city of Jerusalem and that's where the Old Testament ended and we we covered that a couple of weeks ago and then last week we talked about Jesus we're in the New Testament the Gospels Matthew Mark Luke and John in the New Testament those are the Gospels talking about the life and teaching of Jesus. And really the reason why we're doing this series is so that you, when you go home and you read your Bible, you have some more context. You know, oh, these are the prophets of the Old Testament. These are, this is the story of exile, or this is when they're in Egypt, and all these things. We want to have some context. And so last week, we talked about Jesus, how Jesus was born. He grew up. He started to minister. The Old Testament had talked about a a prophesied Messiah that would come, somebody who would come and bring deliverance for the people of Israel. And last week we talked about this, how the Jews who were there when Jesus was ministering, he was doing his miracles, he was uh, gaining a large following of people because he was healing the sick and raising the dead and providing for needs, and he was ministering to the poor and to the hurting and to the sick. But everybody thought, Jesus would be a Messiah who would bring freedom from the Roman Empire because they were subjects to Rome. Nobody thought he was going to die on a cross. Everyone was waiting for Jesus to lead this big rebellion against Rome. And so at the end of last, or two weeks ago, when we were in the last part of this series, Jesus was crucified because he had made a lot of enemies along the way. All the religious rulers, they didn't like Jesus They saw him as a threat. These religious rulers who were still following the Old Testament law and all the Old Testament traditions, Jesus came in and said, it's not about that anymore. Jesus spoke these words. He said, I'm bringing a new covenant. You've been following the old covenant with Abraham and how it was about following the law and obeying the rules. Now there's a new covenant, and it is all about my body and blood being shed and broken for you. It is all about forgiveness and and mercy through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the new covenant that Jesus was preaching. But the the disciples then and all the Israelites and all the Jewish people, they didn't really get it. And at the end of the sermon, the last time we were here in this series, Jesus was crucified at the hands of those religious leaders. 
and at the hands of the Roman rulers who were there oppressing the Israelites at the time. So Jesus is crucified, and at that moment, there really is no church. There really is no Christianity at that moment after Jesus is crucified on that Good Friday. The disciples, they all thought they were next, so they went running. They were hiding. Everyone who was there as a follower of Jesus thought, okay, well, that's the end. Obviously, when people die, typically we think, well, they're going to stay dead. And so they thought, this is the end of the movement. This is the end of this Messiah movement. He was just, they would have said Jesus was just like all those other guys that claimed to be the Messiah. Rome came in, crucified them, and that's the end. And that's what everyone was thinking. It's back to normal now, I suppose they would have thought. It's back to the Old Testament rituals and temple worship and sacrifices because this Jesus movement is over. But then we get to the end of the Gospels. There's one more very key event that happens at the end of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And I'm going to read one of the accounts of the resurrection of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. There should be some black hardcover Bibles in the, in the pew that you're sitting in, and otherwise we'll have it up on the screen. Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And it says this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So I'm going to stop right there just for a moment. There were some women who were there who were going to um, basically take spices and prepare Jesus' body for burial. Since Jesus was crucified so late in the day on Friday... They took his body down and they laid him in a tomb, but then the Sabbath was Saturday, so as soon as it was midnight on Friday, you could no longer do any more work. So nobody could really prepare Jesus' body for burial. So this is what the women on that Sunday morning were doing as they went to the tomb. Verse 2. At the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Amen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. This is what Jesus had told them before. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven, the other eleven disciples, and to the others. Because at that point, Judas, who had betrayed Jesus, he had gone off and uh, would have killed himself right around or soon after that. Um, So there was only eleven disciples left. So that was who the women went back to, to tell the others that they went. Jesus was not in the tomb. He had risen, and these angels had confirmed it. And it said, remember, he had told you this the whole time. He had told you this the whole time. He was going to lay down his life. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be crucified, and then he would rise again. So after the resurrection, Jesus was on the earth for about 40 days, and he appeared to numerous people. Later in the book of 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul would write that he appeared, Jesus appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses in those 40 days after he rose from the dead. Forty days he was there before he ascended into heaven, and he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. Now, that's important because most of the New Testament scripture, as we're studying this over the next couple of weeks, most of this was written in the 20 to 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. 
So when Paul is talking about eyewitnesses, when Luke is naming names, in the book of Acts where they're talking about these people that saw Jesus rise from the dead, because a risen Savior is really the kind of the, the foundation for our movement, right? So this is a big deal. If it didn't happen, then we should go home early today because there's really no point. So the risen Savior is really what this whole movement is built on. And so the eyewitnesses are so important. As Paul says, he appeared to over 500 eyewitnesses. And all this scripture was written during the years where most of those eyewitnesses would have still been alive. So it would have been very easy for any of these eyewitnesses to discount the testimony that Jesus had written. Had it not happened, it would have been very easy for some of these people to say, yeah, you wrote this, you put my name in that in that Bible that you're writing, you know, in that, in that letter that you're writing, but I never saw it. I didn't see it. We actually don't, you know, it would have been very easy for the eyewitnesses to say, yep, never happened. But instead, there are names named, and there are names named, that's right, and, you know, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, and Paul, who's writing all these letters, are saying, Jesus appeared, a resurrected Jesus appeared to all these people. If you don't believe me, talk to some of them. They're right over there. They're still alive. This is very convincing evidence for the validity of a resurrected Savior. The resurrection of Jesus Christ launched the Christian church. When he rose, he valid everything as true. Everything he had said, everything he had taught, everything, every claim that he had made about himself, he validated as truth. If you are a guy who can call his own death and call his own resurrection and then pull it off, people are typically going to believe what you have to say, right? I'm with that guy. Whatever he says, I'm with that guy. This is the foundation for our church. We are here today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The fact that there is a church today is strong evidence that the resurrection happened because if Jesus had not risen, this whole thing would have just been forgotten. Nobody would have written anything down. Nothing would have happened after that. There would have been, maybe in historical writings as there are, talk of Jesus, a man who was a teacher who claimed to be the Son of God and was killed by Rome, and that would have been the end. But we are here today because Jesus rose. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have accounts of the Gospels, or accounts of the resurrection, and really all of them end at, after the resurrection of Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. That's just where the Gospel accounts end. The book of Acts, the very next book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts is the next book. That's the continuation of the story. So I wanted to read a few verses from Acts chapter 1 today. Acts was written by Luke, who was also the writer of the Gospel of Luke. Um, and he writes this. This is the continuation of the story. If you want to know what happened after Jesus rose, read the book of Acts. It is the start of the church. It's when the Holy Spirit comes. It's when the disciples start going, teaching and preaching the resurrected Jesus Christ, and the church is born. And so I wanted to read these verses. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verse 3 through 11. After his suffering, talking about Jesus... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you, talking about John the Baptist, for John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him, the disciples, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So let's pause there just for a minute. Again, the disciples are thinking the same thing. Again, this is about overthrowing Rome. This is about restoring our national identity. They're still asking these questions. They still aren't getting what Jesus is trying to do. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight, so he ascended into heaven. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going. I love to imagine those disciples just staring up in the sky. They were looking up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Those are important words we're actually going to talk about more next week as we talk about the end of the world, the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes back. But I think about those disciples in that moment, and I've mentioned this before. Talk about a roller coaster of emotion for those poor guys, right? (laughs) You have all of them follow Jesus. They're living under Roman oppression, and they believe Jesus is going to lead a rebellion and bring freedom to Israel. And so they're getting excited, and they're at a height, height of heights, and they're thinking this is all going great. And then all of a sudden, Jesus dies. So boom, this movement is over, and they had to be completely downtrodden. All of a sudden, they see Jesus is alive. Even more so, they're excited. But now Jesus says, no, I'm not about restoring national identity, but instead, you're going to get your power from the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. And then Jesus goes to heaven. And I'm sure they would have had to stand there. I would have been standing there a long time, right? Like... Are we supposed to wait here? The angel said he's supposed to come back. Like, is this, are we talking minutes before the end of the day? Like, they, had those angels not appeared, they might still be standing, well, not till this day because they would have been long dead, but they would have been standing there a long time thinking, we need Jesus back. We need him back. This whole thing doesn't work without him. But all of a sudden, a couple of days later, In the second chapter of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes, and we read that wonderful account of the Holy Spirit, God's presence on the earth, coming into that room, and the room shaking, and the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and the Holy Spirit baptizing those people in that room, filling them. They are speaking in other tongues, and they're filled with boldness and power, the very things that they would need to accomplish what Jesus had commissioned them to do. And the disciples, filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to preach, and they begin to teach, and their message is very simple, and you can read that throughout the book of Acts. You can read all these disciples now filled with boldness, those same disciples who, after Jesus had died, were hiding and fearing for their lives, now boldly proclaiming the resurrected Jesus as the only way to salvation. And you read that through those chapters in Acts. And their message was, Jesus is the Messiah, You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. That's not a very, you know, seeker-friendly message, right? Jesus died, and you guys did it, but God raised him from the dead, and now salvation is found only through him, by grace, through faith. That is their message. That is the gospel message. That is what we are about today as a church. Salvation through Jesus Christ, amen? The risen Savior, 
as a church, we were, you know, we're doing announcements. We've got all sorts of fun events and great things as a church. We want this to be a family where you feel like you are a part of a family and lots of events for kids and lots of fun birthday parties and all these things that we're going to do in the community and stocking food shelves. But it all is built on the gospel message of Jesus Christ, that he died, he rose, salvation is through him and him alone. This is Jesus Christ, the gospel message that we proclaim. This is what we are about as a church today. And as you read through Acts, you see that God does amazing things. Now the disciples are there as miracles are being performed. And it's such a great account of what the church really should be. They are there doing life together, fellowshipping with one another, gathering together to worship and give thanks to God. They are meeting needs in the community. They're helping each other out. They are supporting, they're loving, they're serving, and they are proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ. This is a great thing. We see God adds to their numbers, and people by the thousands are getting saved. There's miracles, and they are truly giving their lives for the cause of Christ. I want us to just be reminded of that today, even on this spring break Sunday, of the importance and really just the special um, importance that happens on a Sunday morning when we gather together. Some of you are thinking, it's, church, it's Sunday morning, it's church time, let's check this off the list, and I totally get that. Some of you might be thinking, I'm just checking this out, um, I don't even know if I want to go to church, somebody dragged me here because they said if you want to eat lunch at my house, you have to come to church, and I get that too. But I just want to remind you, now this also sounds self-serving because I'm the pastor of the church and I get that. But there's something special that happens when we as the people of God gather together on a Sunday morning. And we lift up our voice and we, when we're singing, we're not doing it just because we want to sing. We're doing it because collectively we want to proclaim what God has done. We are the church throughout the week. We minister and we meet needs and we proclaim the gospel and then we come together as the family of God and we celebrate what God is doing in us and in our community. This is what we do. So I want to encourage you. This is an important thing to gather on a Sunday morning, to lift up our praise to God, to be encouraged by other people. When we hear the voice, maybe you came in today and you've had a terrible week, but there's something about hearing the truth of who God is being sung by your brothers and sisters in Christ that just lifts our faith, right? This is an important thing that we do. And we see that start in the book of Acts. And this really is what the rest of the New Testament, most of the rest of the New Testament is all about. The book of Acts is that beginning of the church, the disciples as they go and they preach and they see more and more people being saved. The New Testament church begins and then after the book of Acts, we have a bunch of books called the epistles. They are basically letters. They are letters written by these early apostles, these disciples. So what's happening is through the events of the book of Acts, disciples are traveling around. Paul, maybe you've heard of the apostle Paul who went on missionary journeys. He would travel around to the known world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then later on, he would write letters to them saying, hey, I've heard that this is happening. Be encouraged with this. I'm going to remind you of what's most important. All of these letters, these epistles that are written, are taking place during the years of the events of the book of Acts. So that's why if you have been following us in our Foundations Bible reading plan throughout the year, right now if you're following, you'll notice that we're kind of reading some chapters in Acts, and then they'll have us go into like Thessalonians or Galatians. And the reason is because those were letters written by the Apostle Paul around the same time that those events in Acts were happening. So the, the rest of the New Testament, 
after the book of Acts are these letters. So the book of Romans, which comes next. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to the believers in Rome. The Romans, that's what the letter is for. There's Corinthians to the believers in Corinth. Uh, there's people in Ephesus, Ephesians, Philippi, Philippians. These are all letters written, mostly written by the Apostle Paul, to new believers or to new Christians, to the church that is growing in all the surrounding nations and all the surrounding regions. So when you just kind of step back, and you might think of the Bible, and you think, well, this is that book that, you know, grandma always had, or dad would always pull out at the end of dinner and make it awkward with family devotion time, and you might think it's just this kind of Sunday school thing. But if I were to explain it the way I just did, after Jesus rose, there were these eyewitnesses who went around preaching, and then they wrote letters to other Christians in that first century, and we have copies of those letters. That's pretty amazing, right? That's something that we would be like, I gotta get my hand, where can I get my hands on those letters? Good news, you've got a few copies of them in your house right now, in your bookcases. This is, I was so inspired this week just reading through Acts as I was prepping for this sermon. Just like, this is, this is awesome stuff. I was excited again to be a part, not again, that sounds bad like I wasn't the week before. I'm a renewed excitement to be a part of this New Testament church of what God continues to do. So after Acts, we have all those epistles, those letters. And that really is the, the remainder, except for the book of Revelation, the remainder of the New Testament. And it is about Jesus and his church. It is about disciples preaching a resurrected Savior who has come to bring salvation and new life. That is what this New Testament is about. I want to encourage you to follow along in our reading plan. If you, you can get a copy of it back at the info table, we can get you more uh, information on that. You don't need to worry about getting caught up if you haven't read up to this point, but it's a chapter a day for five days a week. It's five chapters a week. It's all through the New Testament. I would love to have you join us as we follow through the New Testament together. But that really kind of wraps up the New Testament. And next week, we're going to talk about the book of Revelation, those things that are yet to come. But really, there's a couple of big ideas that I want to highlight through the remainder of the New Testament from Acts and all the epistles. And the first one is this. What you see if you read through the book of Acts is persecution begins to happen for the church. Persecution by those religious leaders that were opposed to Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. Now they certainly don't like his disciples. These Pharisees, the religious leaders that were all about the Old Testament law, they are persecuting the church. And in Acts chapter 7, there's a story of a disciple named Stephen who is killed for his faith. He's the first martyr for the faith of Christianity. And after that, persecution widespread breaks out. Families are being pulled from their homes, thrown in prison. Um, and it is led by a guy named Saul. And if you know the story, you know that Saul would become Paul. He got miraculously saved. This Saul, who was leading the persecution and arresting Christians, gets knocked off his horse, literally, by a, like a vision of Jesus, and gets miraculously saved. And he becomes the Apostle Paul, the main writer of the New Testament. But this persecution persists, and because of that, a lot of believers in Jerusalem, they scatter because Christians are being killed and arrested. So they say, we got to leave our home. So they leave, and they go throughout Judea, and they go to Samaria, and they go to different nations. And what does that do? That just spreads the church, right? This persecution that was meant to snuff out Christianity just leads to it being spread all over the known world. 
And so all of a sudden you have these Christians who are fleeing persecution, starting churches and preaching the gospel. And it's like little lights are being lit all over the known world, and it's just spreading as you see the gospel continue to go throughout the world. And so much of the New Testament as you read is you'll, you'll see a theme of this throughout the, the Gospels and these letters, Philippians and James. I'll read a couple of them in a moment, a couple examples. The theme of persevering under hardship, persevering under persecution. They're writing this because at the time, they're being persecuted. They're being arrested. They're being beaten. They're being killed for their faith. So in Philippians 4.11, there's a verse, you know, a very familiar verse, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is written from the Apostle Paul as he is in prison for his faith. He's enduring persecution. There's one I want to put on the screen. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There is a teaching throughout the New Testament of persecution is okay. It's not going to stop the gospel. Persevere. Be resilient. Stand in your faith. There is a blessing that comes from suffering for the Lord. These early disciples who would all but one give their lives for their faith, they would be executed. They counted it a blessing to suffer for the cause of Christ. This is a teaching you see throughout the New Testament. And the other conflict is this. One was that there was perseverance or persecution throughout for these first century believers. And the other conflict is one you'll see throughout the rest of the New Testament is this. You had all these Jewish believers who were becoming followers of Jesus, but they all they knew was the Old Testament law and the Old Testament rituals. So there was this conflict brewing as, first of all, they would think, okay, well, we're the sons and daughters of Abraham. The Jewish people would be saying this. We're the sons and the descendants of Abraham. This covenant was for us. So therefore, this Messiah was for us. So therefore, salvation is only for us. So there were a lot of first century Jewish believers who were believing this is only for the descendants of Abraham. Sorry, all you outsiders. But then all of a sudden, Gentiles, non-Jewish people start getting saved. They're putting their faith, and the disciples are preaching and saying, well, Jesus had said this was for all people, so now you've got these non-Jewish people receiving salvation in Jesus Christ, and the Jews are saying, no, 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 this is only for us. So there's this conflict that is brewing. And then, more than that, the Jews are saying, okay, well, you can have faith in Jesus, but now you have to start obeying all of our rules. You have to start doing all the Old Testament sacrifices. Specifically, there was conflict around circumcision, Okay, because if you look back way back with Abraham, a sign of the covenant between Abraham and God was that all the men of Israel would be circumcised. And so now picture this. First century believers, they're saying, I want this faith in Jesus Christ, salvation through faith alone, I receive his mercy. And the Jewish believers are coming and saying, that's great, that's for you. We just got one thing you got to take care of, right? You have to be circumcised. That would be the worst church marketing strategy ever. Right? Can you imagine Easter Sunday, a few weeks from now, we'll have an altar call and people will raise their hands and receive salvation in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if we said, okay, everyone stand if you got saved. All the guys, I need you to come over here. We got one more thing you got to take care of, right? No, that, so, but this was a conflict that was happening in the first century church. How many rules should we make these new followers of Jesus adhere to? 
all the old, you know, dietary rules and temple sacrifices and circumcision and all the law of the Old Testament, there was a conflict. How much should we put on these new Gentiles who are becoming saved? And there's a great story in Acts chapter 10 I want to read. This, again, this conflict of non-Jewish people getting saved, non-Jewish people getting filled with the Holy Spirit, how many rules should we put on them? All of this starts coming to a head in the middle part of the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 10, there's a great story, one of my favorite stories. Because you have Peter, the disciple, he receives a vision from God one night in a dream. Basically, there's all this food laid before him in this dream. And Peter says, I can't eat this. This is unclean. This isn't part of our Jewish custom. And the angel, the voice of the angel says, don't call, what God has called clean, don't you dare call unclean. That was an eye-opener for Peter to all of a sudden think, oh, there might be a bigger meaning to this. And the next day, he gets called by a guy, Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion. Cornelius calls for Peter and says, I need you to come because God has appeared to me in a dream and said to call for you because there's something we need to know. And so Peter goes and meets at Cornelius' house. Again, a Roman soldier who would have been hated by the Jews. Peter goes and meets with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And this is what happens. I'm going to read verse 34 first. And Peter began to speak at the house of Cornelius. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism because of that dream, that vision that Peter had had. Jump ahead to verse 39. It says this, We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead and on the third day, on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but witnesses whom God had already chosen. So Peter's preaching the gospel here to Cornelius. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, speaking of the Old Testament prophets, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. This is the gospel message that Peter is preaching to this Roman soldier and his family. And then get this in verse 44. I love this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely, and this is a big moment for us, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized in water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is a moment where the Jewish insiders realized, oh, this isn't just about us. They were astonished to see even them, even them, they're getting saved. The Holy Spirit is coming on them. Even a Roman soldier. I love that moment. Their eyes are opened as to the the width and breadth of the mercy of God. It is for all people. I love that story. An amazing story. This is the gospel and the Holy Spirit being poured out. God confirms over and over and over again that this is for all people. But you'll see there's more and more conflict. Again, more and more Jews are trying to tell the people it's about the rules. You've got to follow the rules. So this all, one other story in the book of Acts, all comes to a head in Acts chapter 15. The council at Jerusalem. This is a very important like kind of official meeting. 
all the leaders in the church, all those who had been traveling, it's kind of like in our denomination, we call it general council. Every two years, all the pastors meet in Orlando for a, couple, for a week to have all the business meetings of our denomination. This is what happens. All the people, all the disciples who had been traveling, they're coming back because they have to solve this thing. How many rules should we put on these new believers? That's what they're talking about in Acts chapter 15. The Council of Jerusalem, the big meeting of the New Testament church. And the main topic of discussion was how many rules, what rules should we expect new believers to follow? So Acts chapter 15, verse 7 through 12, I want to read that. And this is, they were discussing it, they were talking about this, and then in verse 7 it says this. After much discussion, do we have that one on the screen? Did I not put that one on the screen? There we go. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. He's referring to that story a few chapters before where he saw Cornelius and his whole family saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul tell about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. There's that moment, again, an eye-opening moment. This is for all people. And I love what Peter said. This is through faith in Jesus Christ. People are being saved. Their lives are being turned around. Why would we try to put on that yoke, that burden of Old Testament law? Not only does he say, why would we do that? He, he says it right there. We weren't even able to do that. All the rules that were set out, we weren't able even to do that. Why would we put that on these new believers? And then in verse 19, James, who is the brother of Jesus, he gets up and he says these words, which are some of my favorite words in Scripture. James quotes some of the Old Testament prophets, and then he says these words in verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult. We shouldn't put things on them. We shouldn't put expectations on them when they simply want to receive the mercy and, faith and salvation of Jesus Christ. Why are we putting all these traditions on them? We shouldn't make it more difficult for the Gentiles who are putting their faith in Jesus Christ. So I think for today, as we wrap up here in a minute, I think maybe there's some people here today that you are interested in faith in Jesus Christ, but somebody in your story along the line has made it about traditions and rules. Somebody along the line has come to you and said, well, yeah, you can be a follower of Jesus, but first you have to, you know, this, 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 this. Oh, this means you can't do this, 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 this. Oh, here's the rule about this, and here's what you have to do about this. Somebody has convinced you that it's about the rules, and it's not about the rules. Again, I remind you, this is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's it. Faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose for you. If you've never made a decision or you have been keeping a decision to follow Jesus at an arm's length away because you're like, I don't want to become like all those rule follower, uppity, judgmental Christians. It is not about that. It is new life, salvation found in Jesus Christ who died and rose for you. That's it. 
Anyone who has made it about more than that has led you down the path that these first century Jews were trying to do the same thing. They're trying to put a burden of slavery on you, and it's not it. Jesus Christ has always been about breaking chains and lifting burdens off of us and giving new life by grace, through faith in him. So if that's you today and you have been resisting a decision to follow Jesus, just receive him by faith. It's as simple as, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose. And I receive that gift of salvation. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is good news. And from there, we see him do a renewing work. From there, we begin to walk in new life and faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do that today. But for the rest of us, Let's not make it harder. Let's not make it harder for people who want to turn to Jesus. I love those disciples when Peter was meeting with Cornelius, the Roman centurion. I love that they were astonished that God was bringing salvation to them, even them. I want our church to be an even them church right? Amen? I want our church to be a place where we, I've, I've had experiences like this. I'll meet people, whether it's at Lifetime or in the community or, you know, throughout Farmington. I'll meet people and I, I'll, uh, in, my, in my head, I'll think, well, they are highly unchurched, <laughs> right? I'm like, wow. You know, they are, they, in, in my, my first thought is, yeah, they definitely are not, are not church. But my, my, what I want our thought to be, and here's where my mind always goes, is I can't wait to see them get saved. I can't, wait. I can't wait to see him get saved. I can't wait to see even them get saved. Whoever the even them is in your mind, because let's remember, we were all them at one point before we were saved. I want you to be thinking of the last person in your life that you would ever think to see in church. And that's the even them. I want our church to be an even them. God's salvation and the Holy Spirit coming to even them? That's right. That's why we're here. I, I know there are people in this room who have family members, immediate family members, that are very closed off to faith. And my heart breaks for you because I want loved ones to come to faith. But you got to know that my mentality is even them. I can't wait to see them get saved. We know that God's going to do it. We know that God's going to do it. And there's going to be a great testimony, faith-building moments where the last person you would think would ever get saved comes walking through these doors or in our new building or whatever doors it is. Or maybe it's a conversation that you have in your living room and they receive Jesus as their Savior. I want us to be about even them. Even them. There's nobody too far gone. Even them? Of course God's going to save them. So I'm praying for you if you have unsaved loved ones. I want us to be thinking about the them in our neighborhood, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates in school, family members. God is going to do a work, and we're praying for that. So the New Testament kind of wraps up. The end of the book of Acts, that's the end of the first century church. Apostle Paul is in prison. He would later die in prison. All the first century disciples, all those original disciples, except for John, gave their life for their faith. They were executed and killed for their faith. In the year 66, so about 33 years after Jesus died and rose, um, the Jews in Judea again rebel against Rome. They want their country back, and they stage a rebellion in the year 66. And Rome, the mighty Roman Empire, they come in and they crush this rebellion. They destroy the city again. They destroy the temple again, the temple that had been rebuilt after the exile. Rome came in and destroyed it in the year 66. And it has never been rebuilt. That temple's never been rebuilt. And many believers scattered. And many believers in Judea in Jerusalem are taken back to Rome 
and are slaughtered for their faith. Many first century Christians are slaughtered for their faith in Rome for sport and for amusement of the Roman Empire. I don't know if you are familiar with Masada, that kind of mountaintop fortress in southern Israel near the Dead Sea. That was kind of the final holdout for first century Jews as Rome was coming in, conquering. They were the last holdouts on that mountaintop, and eventually Rome came in and got them too. Rome destroys the city, and all but one of the original disciples, as I mentioned, end up giving their lives for their faith. And this is the story of the church. This is the book of Acts and all those letters that follow. The disciples of Jesus who were eyewitnesses to his death and resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to preach. And they are commissioned by Jesus to go into the world and make disciples. And that's what they do. And it's, an, it's a miracle that that movement of Jesus survived that first century especially with Rome coming in and wiping it out. But it is a testimony that this is the truth. This is what this is God's plan for redemption in the world. And that message would continue to spread. Eventually, the Roman Empire would be conquered. But the message of Christianity keeps moving forward. And eventually, it would get into Europe. And years and years later, I mean, it would survive the Dark Ages. And then it gets overseas to America, and then the founding fathers, some of them start believing, and then there's a freedom of religion in this country, and then churches start popping up, and then leads to us here today in Farmington at this church. We are a part of this movement. You are a part of this story, this message that continues to go forward. It's the same message that we see preached in the book of Acts. Jesus Christ died and rose. Salvation is through him. And I told you earlier, I got so excited this week, just, again, reminded, this is what we get to be a part of. This is what we get to be a part of. It's our turn now. These first disciples that we're reading about, they, if they were here today, they'd say, it's your turn. Don't be afraid of persecution. Don't be afraid of hardship. Persecution will never snuff out this message of Jesus Christ. It's your turn. Take it to the even them. Take it to the last person you think would ever get saved. This gospel message will change lives. This is what we get to be a part of. And I think, I was thinking to myself this week what an honor it is to be able to share in that journey with these first century disciples. And you do too, and I just want to encourage you today. We have only so many days on this earth. How are we going to spend them? How are we going to spend them? What are the things that we are going to be burdened with and worried about? We have a commission from our Savior to go and see the gospel transform our communities. That's what we get to be a part of, so I want to encourage you with that today. The story ends next week. We'll wrap up this series next week with the book of Revelation because the disciple John, who was the one who was not killed for his faith, was exiled to the island of Patmos. It's like a Greek island. So if you're thinking of a way to kind of wrap up your life, you know, oh, poor John, he has to go spend it on a Greek island, you know, <laughs> spending his senior years there. But in his, uh, while he's there, he receives a revelation. An angel appears to him. And we have that as the book of Revelation. And we're going to talk about that next week. The things that are to come. How the world is going to end. It's pretty interesting stuff. So I encourage you to be with us next week. But I want to encourage you today. Long story short, I'm going to wrap it up with this. We can throw that last slide up on the screen. Long story short, Jesus was crucified, but he didn't stay dead for long. His resurrection is what launches the church. Eyewitnesses filled with the Holy Spirit begin to preach and share this gospel message. Salvation through Jesus Christ. This message is for all people. This message endures in spite of opposition and persecution. This message continues today. It's our turn. It's our turn. Let's pray together.